ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chicken Fitzgerald with the Game Changer Network. And I am so excited today because we are gonna be talking about a topic uh, that really should matter to everyone. It is the topic of leadership. And our guest today is the author of a book called The Only Leaders Worth Following, Why Some Leaders Succeed, Others Fail, and How the Quality of Our Lives Hang in the Balance. And Tim, Tim Spiker is our guest. Tim, that tagline, right? Our lives hanging in the balance. I can't wait to get to talk about that. But first, let's talk uh, a little bit about you and who you are. Why don't you tell us your backstory? Sure. Thanks, Chicky, And really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you and, and with your audience. I think probably the best part to share around my backstory was, would be how I even got focused on leadership in the first place. And it started when I was, I was waiting tables, getting ready to start grad school. And a fellow server invited me to an open house for a marketing company. And marketing was going to be part of my focus in grad school. Um, I was also at a time in life when a free meal was very appealing. So I thought, I'm interested in marketing, free meal, I'm there. And so I went, to the, I went to the meeting, this open house, and there was just uh, one seat left in the room when I got there, and I took that seat. It was right in the middle of the room, and that became a very pivotal part of the story, where that seat was, because about three minutes in, Chicky, I learned what an open house for a marketing company actually is. Um, and if anybody else gets invited to an open house for a marketing company, you should probably ask more questions than I did. So that's the, <laughs> that's the learning here. But it was actually a recruiting meeting for a network marketing uh, organization. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, I've got, I've got nothing against uh, MLM. So I got nothing against them. I just was personally not interested in selling water purifiers to my family and friends. Right. And so, yeah. And so in that moment, I had well, I realized what was going on. I'm like, I've got a choice to make. I'm in the middle of a room. The room's pretty packed. Do I essentially disrupt the meeting unintentionally, but make a bit of a scene and get out? Right. Or, or do I stick it out at least until the break? And I decided that the polite path was the better path. So I thought I'll just stick it out until the break. <laughs> and then something really important happened that literally changed the course of my life. And it wasn't because I changed my mind about selling water purifiers, but they started talking about what does it mean to be an employee? And this dark cloud of doom and gloom entered the room. And it was like weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, and it, was a, it was an awful, terrible story. And at that moment, I just checked out. I, the, the person who was doing the presentation became like Charlie Brown's teacher to me. I didn't hear anything else they had to say. But I sat in that chair, crunched in the middle of that room, and I just thought, you know, it, does, it doesn't have to be this way. It'd be like, imagine that I'm working for you, Chicky, and somebody says to me, what's it, what's it like to work for Chicky? And, and how come the answer isn't, you can't believe how much we're accomplishing. I can't believe how much I'm growing. I can't believe even how much it's positively impacting my family when I go home at the end of the night. How come I mean, that's, I mean that can be the answer. It just usually isn't. And so 
I, I, I did leave at the break, by the way. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I, I, so if I, I need a water filter, you're not my you know, guy. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't help you with that. I, I did grab a sandwich on the way out the door. So I got, I got the food part. But as I walked out that night, I just became determined that I was going to begin to interview as many people as I had access to who had experience with leadership. I had some very underdeveloped ideas myself at the time, but as I visited with people, uh, they were very gracious and I would always end the interview, the discussion the same way I'd say, who else should I talk to? And they would give me two or three names and I would call up Jerome and I'd say, Jerome, you don't know me, this is Tim Spiker, but Chickie Fitzgerald said, I should give you a call and uh, I'm doing some research on leadership. And, and Jerome was like, oh, Chickie, yeah, sure. And people were so <laughs> gracious to share their time. And that's how I got started 20 years ago into the space of leadership and really have not stopped in those discussions about what's great uh, and what's terrible in leadership ever since then. Well, that is amazing. So, so how much of that made it into this book? Because obviously 20 years has passed. Yeah. Did you use the same methodology in, in getting current insights or did you just tap into your experience uh, in consulting in, in the field of leadership? Yeah, more, more of that story got me started and ultimately opened the door to two really important things that are the makeup, the bulk of the book. One is a research project I got a chance to be a part of. Uh, sometimes in life, we're just very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. And I happened to be a part of a group that was taking a look at some very interesting research. And so kind of with a with a nod toward Hamilton, I was in the room where it happened. And that was really, I was really fortunate. And so mm -hmm. the book begins with the research. But what fills out the rest of the book are taking that research to clients, watching them apply it and sharing the stories that we see coming back. So that's, you know, that initial uh, qualitative research that I did in leadership ended up putting me in with the practice that originally did that research. It kind of launched me towards clients and client stories that I can share back now. Wow, wow. Well, I, I would love to just dig in uh, to the meat of the book. And, you know, it would be really helpful for uh, our listeners to understand that we all have preconceived notions uh, about leadership. And so how do you get to that place where you understand what, what that gut feeling is about leadership and how it colors um, whether you're the one having to lead or you're being led, right? Yeah. Um, you know, tell me, tell me about that. And then I want to work into talking uh, about this who, not, not what principle that you have really built your practice on? You know, I find that people have an inherent understanding of leadership that's, that's usually more well-developed than they might initially realize. Mm -hmm. I have spent the last 20 years of my life studying leadership. I'm actually an engineer by education. So I'm an electrical engineer, but I can assure you that the world is a safer place because I am not a practicing engineer. <laughs> uh, that's definitely true. But that engineering degree has really served me in a structured thinking concept in terms of taking bigger problems, breaking them down into smaller problems, getting smaller solutions and putting those back together. So really, I tend to approach leadership development in that way. But you don't have to be somebody who thinks and operates that way to understand exceptional leadership. I find very often that I'll just put in front of people, here's leader one. 
and here's leader two, tell me which one is more effective and everybody gets it right immediately. You don't have to be a researcher in leadership to have a really keen gut level understanding of what great leadership looks like. Right. Well, I love the story you told of, you know, that moment when you were sitting in the middle of that crowd and thinking about what should come out of the mouth when you talk about leadership. And I've never actually thought about it that way. But if I if I were trying to be a better leader, I would want to do those things that you talked about, you know, really, I can't believe how my life has been impacted, right? That's what I would want someone to say about me as a leader. Yes, me too. Me too. So, so, so how do we how do we get to that, right? Uh, and and so much of what would come out of people's mouths is the what, right? Of, yes. Of, of the yes. what people do. Oh well, you know, tricky is an idea a minute. Well, that can be good and it can be bad. If you're an innovator, you love it, right? If if you're an operations person, you hate it. That's right. That's right. So I think the thing that helps us get into that space where somebody says, hey, what's it like to work for so-and-so and, and all of the wonderful, valuable and effective experiences start to roll off of our tongues is we want to really understand the dynamic of how it works. I think while we have a gut level understanding of what good and bad leadership look like, sometimes um, that understanding of what's sourcing that is where we're a little bit off. And mm -hmm. so it's going to be a lot better for us and the people that we're developing if we can make sure that we're accurate about the source of what drives that exceptional leadership, because then those are the things that, we're, that we need to work on. So ultimately, that opens the door to this research that I mentioned previously. And so um, I think what I'd like to do, if it works for you, just walk through that, that research briefly so that we can kind of take yeah. a look at what are the source materials. That would be great. Okay. So I was working with a leadership consulting practice of a small boutique consulting firm. And we had people coming up to the west side of Pikes Peak for a week at a time. Pikes Peak in Colorado here, central US for any international listeners. And we would put them through a series of experiences, but we also had a number of assessments. And we had three different assessments, personality assessment, a natural ability assessment, and a leadership evaluation 360. And our clients were saying, what's the magic mix? You know, tell me, if I have this personality style and this natural ability, is that going to give me or the people I'm developing a better chance of being exceptional leaders? And so uh, my colleague, Vanessa Kiley, she was our number cruncher. We had plenty of data to find statistically significant results. And so she took our data and she looked. And here's what she found. Absolutely nothing. No correlation at all. <laughs> no, no correlation at all between... Um, personality, natural ability, and any aspect of being an exceptional leader. And I, I remember the night she told me this, I said, all right, well, we have an answer. When the clients ask, we'll say, look, there's no correlation. And I turned to leave her office and she said, but, but I did find something. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> okay. So I turn oh, around okay. <laughs> and I come back in. What did you find? She said, well, ignore the personality assessment for the moment and ignore the natural ability assessment. Let's just look at our Leadership 360. The software has shown that of the eight categories that we're measuring, two of them are driving just under 70% of the variability. So, Chickie, if you think about a pizza split into eight slices, right. if, all sli if all eight slices are equally, are equally sized, equally important, two slices should be 25%. 
And instead, we had two slices that were just under 70. And she re-ran the data a couple of years later, and that that those two components went up to 77%. And so what that means is not everything in the space of leadership is equally important. Some right. things, some aspects of leadership are more important than others. So fast forward, sometimes when you're right next to the elephant, it's kind of hard to see exactly what's going on. We knew there was something really important, but I had actually moved on to another organization and I was sitting in my office one day, not doing what I was supposed to be doing. I was supposed to be working on a report of some type, but instead I'm staring at a whiteboard with a leadership model on it. And all of a sudden it just landed on me. And it's one of those things where you're like, how did I not see this before? This is actually three years after we originally ran the data. So hopefully we're saving everybody a lot of time here. We're just going to, but here's, here's the situation. We had eight aspects of leadership that we were measuring. We had these two that are worth just a little more than three quarters. And I looked at them and I just realized in a moment that of the six that made up the, the one quarter or 23%, if you want to be technical, those were all about what leaders do. Those have to do with the typical things we talk about in leadership around vision and execution, motivation. And there's nothing bad about any of those things. Right. But they were the deep minority. The two areas that were driving most of the variability on that assessment, I realized in that moment, were about who you are as a human being. Mm. That's when it kind of landed on me. And if we just round the numbers a little bit, that three quarters of your effectiveness as a leader comes from who you are, not what you do. And then that was the like, oh my goodness. Wow. I spent the rest of my career in dialogue with people about that reality. And it's not just our research that other people's research points in this direction as well. Um, and, and leader after leader after leader that I talk with find over and over again that this, this data points in an accurate direction. And so ultimately, you know, we get to the question of what makes up who, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get to that. But the big story that we need to understand for ourselves and for our organizations, for the leaders that we're developing, is that three quarters of leadership effectiveness is about who you are, not what you do, which means we need to be developing who we are. Oh, absolutely. And, and so how... How do the people who are following, right? How, how do they feel differently about it when they know that? Uh, or, or do you even tell them, right? Because uh, I've done those 360 assessments. And, you know, if, if it took your, you know, data person to, you know, unpeel all of this, it wouldn't be intuitively obvious uh, to the follower, right? That yeah, that's the case. yeah. My, one of my favorite questions to interact with anybody on, and, and, and in just about every, every talk that I give, this, this comes up, but that is, tell me about the best leader you've ever had the opportunity to personally work for. And when you step back from that question and just listen, you will find that what people talk about is who that person was as a human being. Right. Talk about them being generous with their time, They'll talk about them giving you opportunities before you were ready for them. Somebody who took a chance on them. And, mm -hmm. and somebody might say, well, what does that have to do with who you are? Well, let me, let me connect the dots here a little bit. People who are willing to take a chance on folks with less experience, but that they believe have a shot at pulling on something off, those people are secure in who they are because they understand <laughs> if this doesn't work out, 
my life's probably not over. My career's probably not over. Even if this horrible, awful thing happened and I actually didn't have a job anymore, I can go get another one. In other words, they're not so insecure about who they are that they aren't willing to put their own careers at risk a little bit by giving people opportunities, maybe even before they're ready. So you hear this generosity of spirit, generosity of teaching, generosity with opportunity. And you can dial all of these things back to who is that person as an individual. And what's really interesting in the midst of that, oftentimes when people talk about the best leaders they've ever followed, they talk about somebody who was willing to kick you in the pants once in a while when you needed to hear something hard. And there was such, there is such a deep appreciation for that. It wasn't all hugs and giggles all the time. It was what happens in my life, in my development, when a leader has the courage to be straight up with me. Now, that doesn't mean that they're, you know, bludgeoning me with a blunt object while they're doing it. It's a matter of, I got to hear the truth and it was shared with me out of genuine care for my career, my development, and where I'm heading next. So it's this wonderful combination of developmental feedback, but it's coming from somebody who I know is in my corner. Again, it gets back to who? Somebody has the courage to say the hard thing, but they're also showing up as somebody who's for others and not just for their own career. So, right. And is this what you talked about being inwardly sound? Well, it's the combination of both. So, uh-huh. so, so there's, there's two aspects of who. What makes up the who of leadership? And you've mentioned one of them, inwardly sound. And the other one is others focused. Mm-hmm. And so when we see these things in combination in the leaders that we're following, we experience really exceptional growth, development, learning, the whole nine, uh, accomplishment, performance. It, it drives us into really great things. And that's why three quarters of leaders' effectiveness uh, comes from those two areas, inwardly sound and others focused. Right. And so let's talk a little bit about trust and the role okay. that trust plays in leadership. Because, you know, in my corporate life, I actually would have had a much easier time pointing out the bad leaders, right? And I'm sure I'm not alone. <laughs> no, you're not. Um, you know, I grew up in companies that were, uh, and at a, at a time when business was command and control leadership. Right. You do it because I say to do it. And, uh, you know, just criticism uh, laced in everything. Right. And so that didn't build up uh, a whole lot of trust. But uh, I've got to believe with what you just described, that trust has to play a big role in actually producing results. Um, because I have to trust that you're not going to bludgeon me if I get it wrong. <laughs> right. I like that term bludgeon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're right. It, it, trust plays such a critical role here. And I, I want to spin the issue of trust on its head just a little bit, because I think, um, I think especially in the for-profit space, but in other, other spaces as well, I think we get this a little bit wrong because there's a fair amount of discussion that floats around about the value of trust and what it produces in terms of organizational life. But I fear that we have many leaders who take that message and go out and they try to figure out how to build trust. And so, all right, great. We're going to put ping pong tables in the break room and we're going to go whitewater rafting. And look, I like ping pong and whitewater rafting. So I I got nothing against that. And those are opportunities to bond. But what really is more important when it comes to the issue of trust 
to me is not doing all of these activities that are kind of unique and give us a shared experience. That's fine. What's even more important though, I think is the idea as a leader, am I being trustworthy? Um, and so instead of thinking about building trust, I want to think about for myself and I want to encourage other leaders to think about how can I be a little bit more trustworthy today than I was yesterday? And ultimately, I think that can inform lots of ways in which we behave, in which we think, in which we communicate. So ultimately, let's come back to those two ideas of inwardly sound and others focused. If I'm inwardly sound, I'm not easily thrown off course. Um, you know, to put it in very almost, almost blunt terms, I, I'm not crazy. <laughs> I, am, I am somebody that you can count on. I'm somebody that's secure and stable enough in who I am that even as the world gets VUCA crazy, that you can count on me not to make rash decisions, not to be emotionally immature, even when the stakes are high. I'm a person who creates a sense of stability around me. That's an inwardly sound person. Another focused person is somebody who shows up now and it's not all about them, really simply. It isn't all about their ego or their next advancement or their bank account. It's about others. It's about the people that I'm leading. It's about helping them be successful. It's about not my ego. It's about them and caring for and developing them. And so when you combine these two things, inwardly sound and others focused, you are a person I can count on even when things are difficult. And you're showing up not for yourself, but for me. Those two things engender enormous amounts of trust. What they deem is that the, that the leader is truly worthy, back to that word, of trust. They get my trust and they should because they're found in others focused. And so the idea here is fine about the team building stuff. I have no problem with that. But what if we as leaders are taking steps to, what can I do today to be more inwardly sound? What can I do today to be more others focused? And we continually develop those aspects of who we are because that is what will make us truly trustworthy. And trustworthiness is ultimately connected to engagement. And there's 300 studies across the entire globe right. over long periods of time that show the connection between engagement and performance. And that's why who you are actually ends up hitting the bottom line from a leadership perspective. Well, and I love that. Uh, so we talked about what people uh, perceive about leadership because you have to start with some baseline. What what are some of the myths and misunderstandings that you uncovered about leadership as part of this whole exercise? You know, one of them is we get a, we get a lot of, okay, fine. I see the research and it even matches up with my own stories, but can you really do anything about it? I mean, aren't we pretty much fully baked by the age of 30? <laughs> Isn't this just kind of a true but useless exercise? And the answer is no, because ultimately, I think we're combining some thinking in a way that is logical, but untrue. And so here's what I mean by that. Jean Piaget originally kind of brought to the world this idea of the formative years. Uh, but ultimately that research didn't go much further. It didn't go deep into life. It didn't reveal enough. And so it, Piaget's work has become basically ubiquitous. Nobody argues with the idea of how we grow and develop in adolescence and young adulthood much more quickly than we do um, later on. But what people have then seen is some folks who are further, around, further along in life and career 
who are unwilling to do the work, who are unwilling to work on who they are. And they've reached this erroneous conclusion. And the erroneous conclusion is this, we can't grow and develop in meaningful ways in who we are past the age of 30. That's it, it's a, it's a, it's a sealed up deal. So along come Cheryl Armand and Theo Dawson, and they do a research study over the course of 14 years that shows just the opposite. It shows that we can, in fact, they had multiple people in their study that didn't even begin in the study until they were above the age of 55. And so what it showed is that we can grow and develop in who we are later in life. Armand and Dawson's work was based on Lawrence Kohlberg's from Harvard, and he had, a very, he had various levels of moral reasoning and development. He had the highest level. And what was really interesting in, in, um, in the research from Armand and Dawson is they didn't find anybody who reached that highest level of moral reasoning and development who was under the age of 35. And so what that suggests is something I think that when we think about it, it takes a little time in the saddle. Uh, we need a certain volume of experiences to really grow to the depth of who we can become. And so in the long run of all of that, what I say to people is ultimately, yes, it is hard work to grow and develop in who we are. There's no question. But as you, as you move along in your career, you also have more influence. So when you move 5%, but you have exceptional influence, it actually has a much bigger impact on the organization because of all that influence you now carry. So it's very important that we continue to grow and develop in the core of who we are. And it is not a function, it's not a question I should say, of, of can or can't. It is a question of will or won't. And so that opportunity is there for us. And I have too many anecdotes with clients that are all well above the age, well above the age of 30 of truly growing and developing in who they are. I've seen it over time and time again to match up with that research that Armand and Dawson did. So that's the, that's the number one pushback or, or myth that people have around this, that it, we can't grow and develop later in life. We can't, it's hard, but we can, and it makes a big difference when we do. Well, and I was gonna go a little different direction from that, although I'm glad you said that because it gives hope to those of us who grew up again with bad examples of leadership and we, we didn't really see it. And in, in my case, I left corporate life maybe because of the quality of the leadership. Yeah. Uh, and I worked for some, you know, I mean, there were some amazing people, uh, you know, spattered <laughs> through that, but they weren't necessarily my boss. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but what I, where I was going to go with that is, um, you know, I, I am in my sixties, but I happen to have college age kids. In fact, my son, uh, goes, uh, to Karis Bible college in Woodland park, you know, okay. sitting right at the base of, uh, of, uh, the mountain you were there talking you about. Yeah. And, and I look at him, he's 21. And then my daughter uh, is just graduating with her master's from the university of Warsaw in Poland. And, and I look at what they have not been taught. Okay. And this learning about being other focused, right. And, and really having that, that, um, well, the grounding, right. Of, of not being tossed by what's going on around you. Um, uh, in fact, last night we were sitting with my daughter and we were watching, um, uh, TV series called Cobra Kai. I don't know if you have uh, seen it, I'm but I'm, I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah. So it, you know, it, it comes out of the whole Karate Kid uh, movie, uh, 
experience. Yeah. But there, there is a scene where they're standing on, on a, a circular um, platform in a body of water. And, you know, they're trying to learn how to do the karate moves and, and how to mirror each other. And, you know, to me, that's the picture of being grounded and not, you know, blaming the other person for making you fall off, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, I would love to see how we can work this into uh, work cultures where we do have a younger uh, workforce, right? And especially now that so much is being done by a Zoom and we don't have uh, really seeing the whites of each other's eyes and, yeah. and really experiencing the, the, the true vibe of what's going on in the room, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I would just say, you know, after all of this, this makes so much sense. And I, I know you know that, Tim, which is why you have, have staked your whole career on it. But, but once people actually realize this, and whether you're looking at a younger workforce and, and how do you take the 20 somethings and, uh, you know, who have had this world of entitlement and, and change them into this kind of a leader, or taking someone like me who, you know, grew up in this awful culture of uh, command and control, and you do it because I say and not because I really want to be successful. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right? So, so what? Right is is the real question. Once you understand all of this, what do you do differently, right? And how do you leverage this? Because it, it really is a truth that once you get it, you know, it's like you can't unsee it. <laughs> I, it is. It feels a little bit like the Matrix in that regard. Yeah. Uh, you can see you can see these underpinnings behind behaviors and decisions all over the place once we see what that research really points to. I, I'll give you a couple of examples. And, and before I give the examples, let me just make a really broad statement. If we wanna be exceptional leaders, we should always be working on becoming more inwardly sound and others focused. Now that I, I get that that doesn't give the prescriptive way to do that. Um, and I'll talk about some very specific examples in just a moment, but ultimately we should all be able to step back from our lives at any single moment and have an answer to the question, what am I doing? in my life currently to become inward, more inwardly sound, what am I doing in my life right now to become more others focused? That should be an activity that follows us to the grave. And it's, it's never going to be done and that's okay. It's, it, this is all a lifelong journey. So in general, I would say we need to have two, those two things going. I'll give you an example in each area. So what are some things that we can do? One of the things, and this is going to kind of, I'm going to start with inwardly sound. This will combine a couple of things, but when a, one of the things that we talk about around becoming more inwardly sound is becoming more self-aware. You know, what is, what is the truth about me? Not only as I see me, um, but ultimately in terms of how other people see me as well. And so I'm going to share with you an idea here and you're going to see in spite of my engineering degree, how not rocket science this is. Okay. <laughs> so it's a very simple idea where you pick five people that you're in close proximity to. And over the course of a month and a half, you meet with them. But with each person, you send them a note in advance, a week or two, so they have some time to think about it. And the questions are very simple. What do I do that creates a lot of value around me? What do I do that hurts value? 
And what are some things that maybe I should consider changing? Um, either it's something I'm doing well, I need to do more of, or something I'm not doing as well. These are really, really simple questions. Nothing really complicated about it, but how we approach it makes all the difference. Because we want to say, hey, I would love your feedback. I would really appreciate your perspective. And many times when people do this exercise, they hear things that they don't agree with. They hear things that are like, yeah, but you don't really understand. And that's okay. You need to, you need to bite your tongue. Right. And you need to be appreciative because here's the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is you're learning how that other person experiences you. Even if you like, look, that's a misunderstanding. You don't have the whole story. That's okay. That's not really what this is about. This is about even if you disagree with the other person's analysis, you get a chance to see how they perceive that you're impacting them. And so it's one thing to stand in front of the mirror and go through a series of questions to try to understand, okay, you know, really when I look at my behavior and my thinking, what are my hot buttons? What are the things that kind of get me going in a way different than they get everybody else going? I can see that I get all fired up and nobody else cares. And when does that, like you can go through a series of things and that's a really important, good exercise to do with yourself, but it's a different thing than to, to pull somebody else in the conversation, to give them those questions in advance and just say, look, I'm trying to become the best leader I can be. And I think, and I understand that in order to do that, I, I need to be a little bit more self-aware. And I would love your help with that if you would be willing to give that to me. And your, your, most, your most consistent answer to anything they say is thank you. And I, and I don't mean that disingenuously. I mean, I'll come back to even if they're even if you don't agree, they've taken the time to share with you their perspective. And what I said it involves another piece of being inwardly sound. Guess what you're also doing when you do that exercise for most people? is you're working that courage muscle. Right. And leaders need to be courageous. That is part of being inwardly sound. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone in that one, in that you're learning more about how their others speak or how others experience you. And for most people, that's a courageous conversation to have. And courage is really interesting because it builds on itself. There's a virtuous cycle with courage. When I try things that are hard and I see that I can do it, then it begets me doing it again. And we can just continue to ex exercise that courage muscle. So those are a couple of related examples on the inwardly sound side. On the other's focus side, again here, you will, you will see my lack of, of rocket science-ness here. But ultimately, one aspect of being other's focus is being curious. And when I say that, I'm talking about more than just intellectual curiosity. I'm talking about really being curious about other people their ideas, their emotions, and their perspectives. And so it's got to be a very broad idea of curiosity. And one of the ideas that we share with our clients about working to become more curious is a very simple phrase. It was taught to, be, taught to me by Dr. Mary Shippey. And, and I will tell you, Chicky, that this phrase has not just been good for our clients. It's been good for me. It's been good for my life. And I mean that life, like the whole thing, not just work, but at home. And it's a very, very simple phrase. And so what if we were to show up in our life and say, hey, for the next month, twice a day, for the whole month, I'm going to say, tell me more about that. Can you just tell me more about that? Watch what you learn after you thought you knew the story. And here's the other thing. This is why it impacts leadership. Leaders are forever saying, uh, I don't have complete information. I have to make decisions without. You'll get better information when you say, "Tell me more about the." Uh, tell me more about that. The other thing that happens, Chicky, is that the relationship improves. 
And when right. the relationship improves, you're setting yourself up for more free flow of information in the future. And so if I, now it can't be a hollow, tell me more about that. It has to be genuine, right? Uh, yeah, tell me more about that. And you talk, I'm not really going to listen. Like, no, no, no. It means really I'm, I'm present. I'm dialed in. I'm, I'm continuing to ask follow-ups. I am genuinely curious about your perspective, your thoughts, your beliefs on this. Right. Tell me, tell me more about that. Is it incredible weapon for helping us become, because I think what you find when you do that, you actually over time become more curious. Curiosity becomes more a part of your own personality when you do something that on a regular basis. So those are a couple of examples. Right, and I, I love that one. Um, I actually interviewed a, a woman, her, her name is Michael, Michael Sherlock, uh, who wrote the book, Tell Me More. And when I interviewed her, I knew that that would be life-changing for me. Because I, I have that bad habit of I'm, you know, five steps ahead as someone's talking and, you know, and I'm, I'm not doing as much listening. And that is such an active skill uh, tool that, you know, it, it really is very, very powerful. I, I think it is. Uh, I think there is a um, I think there's something that goes on inside of us when we get consistent with that, that even goes deeper than the skill of asking the question. Mm -hmm. I think once that we get a little taste of the things that we didn't know and what the relationship begins to feel like when we show up genuinely curious, there's something I think that begins to transform on inside of us. It doesn't happen in a day, but right. if we do it over and over again, I we move towards just an inherent greater level of curiosity, which is really in that whole who, not what principle, that's what we're really after. Not just the words of curiosity or this idea of tell me more about that, but ultimately now I'm showing up just naturally a more curious leader, which ultimately makes me more effective. So yeah, I'm a big, Dr. Shippey changed my life forever when she taught me that simple little phrase. Well, that's amazing. So we have been talking today to Tim Spiker, who is the author of The Only Leaders Worth Following. And the tagline of the book is Why Some Leaders Succeed, Others Fail, and How the Quality of Our Lives Hangs in the Balance. Tim, how can folks follow you and, and learn more about this methodology, uh, aside from simply ordering the book, which they should do? <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, the, the easiest way to find us is just to go to the website, beworthfollowing.com. And there you have an opportunity to uh, sign up to be in our email list and all those normal things that organizations. Mm. But we have a little bit of a, a special giveaway because we, we have a little code box there. So before I tell you what the giveaway is, Chicky, you get to decide the word that goes in the code box. So what, what do you want the word to be? The game changer. Okay. So if you put game changer, did you want the game changer or game changer? No, game changers. No, we'll, and we'll give it either way. How's that? <laughs> like, so if you put game changer in the box at beworthfollowing.com, um, our offer is to give anybody who's listening uh, as a thank you to, to listening to the podcast, a half an hour of free consultation, any leadership topic that you want to dive in on either for you or for your organization. We're happy to do that as we kind of take this uh, take this research forward so people know about it. So if you put Game Changer in there, um, we'll be more than happy to spend a little time with you free of charge. Perfect, perfect. Well, Tim, thank you so much. 
You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Like what you just heard? Visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business.